Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. An elderly man is found dead in the living room of his home. There's a single bullet hole in his chest. On the surface, it appears the man took his own life, but the evidence points to the opposite. Your job? Investigate. More and more smokers coast to coast are saying this about king-size Fatima every day. They're different. Better. They are different. So pleasing. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. You see, Fatima contains the finest domestic and Turkish tobaccos superbly blended. And Fatima is extra mild with a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Compare Fatima with any other king-size cigarette. You'll find Fatima gives you all the advantages of extra length, plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Next time, buy Fatima. Best of all, king-size cigarettes. documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, January 10th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working a day watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. It was 8.25 a.m. when I got to the police academy, the doctor's office. Morning. Morning. Can I help you? I'm checking in for my annual physical. Oh, okay. Joe Friday. See. Friday, just like the day in the week? Yeah, that's right. Friday. Can't seem to find it. You sure you were notified? Yeah, the teletype was posted in the office a couple of days ago. Annual physical exams. My name was right near the top of the list. F-R-I-D-A-Y. Uh, huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here you are. Joseph Friday. That's it, yeah. Well, all right, Friday. Let's get your name down here. Okay. Cage? 34. Where you work? Central Homicide. Hmm. Serial number? 2288. 2288. Okay, Friday, you want to step this way? All right. Step off your shoes, your coat, and shirt. Okay. 
Well, they're keeping you busy? Oh, pretty busy, yeah. 4,500 men in the department. Everyone has to have an annual physical. Mm Mm-hmm. Better get you weighed and send you along inside. Doc's probably ready for you by now. Mm -hmm. Over here. Oh, never fails. Dr. Vance's office. Who's that? Uh, Just a minute. It's for you, Friday, your office. Friday talking. This is Ben, Joe. You about through over there? No, not quite. I haven't seen Doc Vance yet. What's the matter? Dead body called up by Westlake Park. Radio cars out there now. No one else in homicide to handle it? Not right now. They're pretty busy. Now, you should coming back to the office. Why don't you meet me out there? It's uh, 932 Old Laurel Lane. All right, just a minute. Have that pad, Doc. Thank you. 932 Old Laurel. I got it. What's the story? Old man was found dead in his living room. Bullet hole in his chest. Hmm? Man in the radio car said at first it looked like the old man had killed himself. They're not so sure now. What do you mean? I think he had some help. 8.45 a.m. I left the doctor's office at the police academy and drove to the Westlake area where I met Ben in front of the cottage where the dead body had been found. We went inside and checked with one of the men from the radio car who was standing by. The dead man was identified as Martin Latimer, age 68, a retired owner of a couple of neighborhood grocery stores in the city. He was lying sprawled on his side on the floor. There was a bullet hole in his chest just above the heart where the slug had entered the body. There was another larger wound in the back through the left shoulder blade where the bullet had emerged. Approximately eight feet across the room from the body was another chair. There was a Winchester rifle wired firmly to the top, its muzzle pointing directly above the spot where the body lay on the floor. A thick white string was found wound firmly around the trigger of the rifle. It ran through a metal ring on the stock of the gun and stretched across the room where it had been tied to the dead man's right index finger. At first glance, it seemed like an obvious suicide arrangement. Officer Harkness, one of the men in the radio car who had answered the call, took exception. I know, Sergeant. Maybe I'm all wet. Just doesn't gel right for me. Who discovered the body, Harkness? Next-door neighbor, Mrs. Donworth. My partner's with her now. You fellas call the crime lab? Yeah, they're on their way out. Was the old man the only one who lived in the house here? Yeah, that's what the neighbor told us. Sure like to see what the crime lab crew's going to think of it. Well, what's the big question, Harkness? Well, I know it's none of my business, Sergeant. You fellas are the detectives. I just couldn't help but notice, though. What's that? Well, here. Now, over here, uh, this rifle wired to the back of the chair. Yeah. Now, take a side along the barrel of the rifle. See what you think. Right through the side, huh? Mm-hmm. Pointed right above the armchair over there. It's in a yeah. straight line with the body. Uh-huh. Well, how much fist? The old man pulled the string tied to his index finger and it set off the trigger. Took the slug through the chest and everything. Yeah, that's what I figured. Now, here, uh, take a look at the wall directly behind the old man. Yeah. Now, the slug went clean through the body. We know that. And through the chest above the heart, then out through the shoulder blade. Yeah, I see what you mean. Now, here, now, take a look at this wall here. Got a mark on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing, sure, if the old man was shot in that position, the slug had to come this way. Well. Pass through his body right about this height here. Uh-huh. We ought to find the bullet hole in this wall, right? Right around here. Yeah, it ought to be. Not a trace of a slug there. Not much chance it could have been deflected, do you think? Well, that's what I thought. It's a 30-30 Winchester, enough power to go through a couple of plaster walls. Well, we know the slug went through the body. It's got to be somewhere in one of these four walls. Uh, uh, take a look over here and see what you think. All right. Uh, down here near the corner of the wall. Where? Well, right here. Yeah, it looks like it, Ben. Well, something's out of kilter. The rifle never could have thrown the slug this far down on the wall. 
Not the way far to the chair there. And besides that, it's way out of line, at least four feet the way I figured here. Well, I know it's none of my business, Sergeant. I couldn't help but notice it, though. Uh, you want me to stand by outside? Yeah, okay, if you will. Would you mind checking with your partner? See if we can have that neighbor lady brought over for questioning, will you? Right, I'll check with him now. Thank you. Sure. I'm going to take another look at that rifle. Well, it sure doesn't add up too well, does it? Even if the old man jerked the gun when he pulled the trigger with that string arrangement, the slug couldn't have passed through his chest, out his back, and then hit the wall where it did. Well, stand just behind the body, will you, Joe? See if it's possible to line it up. All right, what about here? Does it look about it to you? Uh, yeah, that's good. Let me see here. No, not a chance, Joe. It's way out of line. Uh-huh. That's the gun that killed him. The old man didn't pull the trigger. Not from there, anyway. Well, there's one other chance. Yeah? Somebody pulled it for him. Lieutenant Lee Jones arrived with his crime lab crew and went to work. We put in a call to the coroner's office, and then the dead man's neighbor, Mrs. Elsie Donworth, was brought over for questioning. She was a chubby, matronly lady, about 45. She told us she'd been a neighbor to the aging Martin Latimer for more than 10 years. I take it you knew Mr. Latimer pretty well, ma'am. Yeah, I suppose. Didn't have any relatives, poor man, all alone. He was in the grocery business for years. He made some nice money, I guess. Retired about eight years ago, sold both his stores. Had an income from a mortgage on one of them. $150 a month. Yeah, he was very comfortable. Uh-huh. Wasn't a penny painter at all, but he was thrifty. It was the same way with my husband, Claude. He used to say, take care of the dimes and the dollars will take care of themselves. Well, Mrs. Donworth, can you think of any reason why Latimer would want to take his own life? Oh, I suppose. A poor old man is getting along in years. A long time there. He was afraid he was going to die with cancer. Is that so? Did Mr. Latimer have cancer, do you know? Oh, no. He kept thinking he was going to die with it. Could you uh, come next door to my place while I get some of my laundry out? We could talk there. It's just across the yard. All right, man. That'll be fine. If you want to tell Lee Jones we'll be next door, Ben, guess you better let Harkness know, too. Yeah, right. I'll tell him. Thank you. About that cancer business, officer, Mr. Latimer was always talking about it. Yes, ma'am. He finally went to a doctor about it. That was the last week only. He came back and he told me the doctor said for him not to be so silly about it. He was a well man in good health. When was the last time that you saw Latimer, ma'am? Uh, day before yesterday. Oh, we laughed and joked over the back fence. Mm-hmm. Poor old man. He had such a nice smile. Reminded me a good deal of Claude. That was my husband. Well, I'd like to have your honest opinion, Miss Donwood. Do you think Mr. Latimer killed himself? Well, I suppose that rifle in there, that terrible contraption. Joe, I wonder if I could talk to you a minute. Yeah, okay. Would you like to go on ahead over next door, ma'am? We'll be right with you. All right, officer. Thank you very much. We'll be right there, ma'am. Yeah. Crime lab crew's having a field day. They see if the old man shot himself with that rig, it ought to make Ripley's call. They find anything definite? Dusted the rifle for fingerprints. Didn't find a warrant. How about that? Yeah, it makes less sense than that slug buried in the corner of the wall, doesn't it? Sure does. Checked a desk in the living room, found some correspondence Latimer was having with some woman through a Lonely Hearts Club. Yeah? Did you find any reason why he'd want to die? Pretty good reason why he'd want to live. Huh? Found a photograph. Beautiful girl. Looked to be about 24 or 5. Yeah, what about it? She was going to marry him. The crime lab crew continued their routine investigation of Martin Latimer's cottage. They removed a 30-30 slug from the corner of one wall. Ben and I went next door to question the neighbor, Mrs. Donworth. 
there didn't seem to be any common ground at all between the evidence in the house and the information that she had to offer. As we continued questioning her, Mrs. Donworth remembered that a month before, Latimer had told her that something might happen to him and he wanted to make out a will. He asked if she would witness the will. A few days later, Latimer's lawyer came to the house and Mrs. Donworth witnessed the signing. At that time, she said Latimer made the remark, I don't feel like going on much longer anyway. If death means a rest, I think I deserve one. Mrs. Donworth kept busy with the laundry while we interviewed her. Could you let me get by to the manual officer? I have to get some of this ironing done. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. I'm afraid there's one thing I don't remember you telling us, ma'am. Did you hear anything out of the ordinary going on next door or this morning or last night? No. Nothing I noticed, anyway. Officer, did you see that knob on the washer, the one on the left? Oh, you mean this over here? Yeah, just lift it up and turn around off, please. It says off right there in the dial. Yes, ma'am, I see. There you are. Yeah, thanks. No, there was nothing I heard from next door remark about. Of course, it's so noisy around here that time of morning, you can't even hear yourself think anyway. How's that, ma'am? Uh, trucks passing by up and down every morning. They're not small trucks either. They start in at 6 a.m. and they rattle past for two, three hours, please. First good explanation we've had on this thing. Could you give us the names of some of the other people on the street who knew Mr. Latterman pretty well, Mrs. Donwood? Yeah, I suppose. I don't think any of them knew the poor old man as well as I did. Most of them are younger folks, you know, parties and things. When you get up around 65 or past it, like Mr. Latimer, parties don't mean so much anymore. Yes, ma'am, I understand. Yeah. It's a nice, quiet home with a good heating system. Good books on the shelf. Good man around the house. That all you can ask for. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you very much. We'll leave our card here in case you want to contact us for any reason. All right, officer. There's one more thing, Mrs. Donworth. We understand Latimer was corresponding with several women through a Lonely Hearts Club. Did he ever mention that to you? No, he never did. I found out from the mailman. He's a regular gossip. Uh-huh. And Latimer never mentioned any of the women that he corresponded with. Is that right? Well, I pretended I didn't even know about it. He never brought it up. Don't understand why he'd want to meet a lady that way. All most of them are looking for is a man with money so they can quit work and lay around the house. Well, thanks again, Mrs. Donnelly. It's been very helpful. Yeah. Poor old man. I wonder what made him write letters after silly women. Little good they'd have done him. He wrote letters all over the country. Mm-hmm. Getting tired of working myself. Could have saved the postage, too. Beg your pardon? I was right next door. Would have married him in a minute. We left Mrs. Donworth's house a few minutes past noon, and we went back next door to Latimer's cottage. The crime lab crew had finished their investigation, and the deputy coroner arrived. He took the body downtown for autopsy. We talked over the crime lab findings with Lieutenant Lee Jones, and he felt the same way that Ben and I did. The theory that Latimer had shot himself to death was possible in many respects, but it was far from plausible. We checked through Latimer's correspondence with the women that he'd contacted by mail through the Lonely Hearts Club. Especially the young girl he obviously intended to marry, judging from his letters to her. Her picture showed her to be a brunette, dark eyes, young and very attractive. The inscription at the bottom read, With love, Catherine. There was no return address on either the photo or the letter. Ben called a check with the Lonely Hearts Club. Yes, ma'am. No, that's all right. We'll probably be dropping down to talk to you. Yes, boy. What'd they say? Might be it, Joe. 
Club secretary says they've been having trouble with somebody who signs a picture just like this one. With love, Catherine. Uh -huh. I described the picture, and the secretary says it's the same girl. What's the angle? The girl doesn't belong to the club, but somehow she got a list of the members and their addresses. She writes to them, usually old men, gets them set for marriage, and they send for her. Uh -huh. Her letters come from the east, from different cities. She writes and asks for a train fare out here. The men send her their money for clothes and train fare, and that's the last of it. She's gone. Oh, that adds up all right. This one letter here. This one. I hate to ask you, dear, but if you could send me the traveling money and just a little extra for some clothes, I will take the first train and be with you in a week to become your wife, awaiting that precious moment and so on. Mm. Kind of pours it on thick. What's the date on this? Let's see. Uh, December 30th. It's 12 days ago. What do you think? That's well, possible. She could have showed up, tried to grab all the old man's money she could find. Maybe he caught her at it. She killed him. Rigged up this phony setup to make it look like Latimer shot himself, huh? And hold more water if we could find out she really came here. Maybe we better start ringing a few doorbells. The other neighbors might come up with something. What do you say? Uh, let me see that girl's picture again, will you? Mm, yeah, here you go. No photographer's name. Now look in the back here, Ben. Mm, yeah? No, down here in the corner. Right in the corner of the picture mounting. Oh, yeah, yeah. XXX6Y3. Must be some kind of manufacturer's marking. Photography supply. Uh -huh. Guess it stands for the type of paper, huh? You know anything about the photo business? No, I don't. Neither do I. Let's find somebody who does, huh? Before we drove back to the office, Ben and I covered the rest of the neighborhood and talked to everybody who knew the dead man, Martin Latimer, even remotely. They told us nothing that we didn't already know. There'd been no stranger seen visiting the old man. No one had noticed anything out of the ordinary in Latimer's daily routine. Three o'clock that afternoon, we checked with the police photo lab. They told us that the symbols stamped on the cardboard frame of the photograph signed Catherine were symbols used by a photo supply company up in San Francisco. We went back to the office and got in touch with the San Francisco firm. We were told that the symbols indicated the style and the size of photographic mounting, and further, that this particular type of mounting was distributed only throughout seven western states. They gave us a list of 18 photo studios in Los Angeles who kept that particular mount in stock. It was a long chance, but we started checking them out. Meantime, we'd run the girl through R&I and gotten out an APB, seeking information on her. Three days later, Ben and I had checked out 10 of the 18 photo studios on our list. The 11th was the M&Y family portraits on Melrose. Yes, sir. Can I help you? Police officers, would you mind taking a look at this photograph here, please? Let's see. Would you like an enlargement? Got a special price on the enlargements this week? No, sir. We'd just like to know if you can identify this girl. That's all. Oh. Well, do you recognize her at all, sir? I know her. Sure you wouldn't like an enlargement? cruiser car of a Metropolitan Police Department. You receive a routine radio call. All units, attention all units. Pick up and hold for investigation the following vehicle. 1948 Ford, two-door sedan, black white sidewall tires. There are many cars that fit this description. You listen for more facts. This car will have extensive damage to right, front end. License number 9-Robert-9-707. In the 7 column, 9 Robert 9-707. Now you can pin it down to one. It's the same with cigarettes. There are many king-size brands to choose from. But when you know all the facts, you'll make your choice, Fatima. Here are those facts. 
Fatimas are the same in length and circumference as any other king-size cigarette. 85 millimeters long, one and one sixty-fourths inches around. And Fatima filters the smoke exactly the same long distance. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. Fatima gives you extra mildness. A much different, much better flavor and aroma. Remember, Fatima gives long cigarette smokers all the advantages of extra length. Plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. Next time, insist on the best. Buy Fatima. Best of all king-size cigarettes. Saturday, January 13th, 1.35 p.m. We showed the photograph of the girl to the proprietor of the photo studio on Melrose Avenue, and he identified her as one of his customers. He told us her name was Doris Chambers. She was 22 years old and a postgraduate student in chemistry at the university. She came from a fairly well-to-do family, and her father was the president of a local neighborhood bank. She didn't even come close to the type of girl that we were looking for. We got the address from the photographer, drove out to the home, and interviewed the Chambers girl. She gave a younger appearance than she did in her picture. She couldn't recognize the handwriting on the photo, nor did she understand the inscription with Love, Catherine. After questioning her, it became apparent that she knew nothing at all about 68-year-old Martin Latimer. I wonder if you'd mind taking another look at the handwriting on the picture, miss. Isn't familiar at all? No. No, I couldn't be sure either way. Seems like I'd seen it, though. Well, when did you say you had this picture made, miss? About a year ago at graduation. My mother had extra copies made up. She liked it. I didn't care for it much. Could you tell us how many people have prints of this picture? Mama had two dozen copies made up. She took 12 and I took 12. Mm -hmm. She sent them to relatives, friends of ours. Kept a few. What'd you do with yours? Sent them to friends, girls at school, a few of my boyfriends. Can you remember if you autographed any of them? Yeah, some of them. The ones from my girlfriend. Others I gave out plain. Can you try and think who you gave those to, Miss, the unsigned pictures? One went to Carl, I know that. Ray and Fred and Don and Warren. I think that's it. wonder if we could have their full names and addresses, please. Yes, yeah, all right. I don't know what I'm saving all this junk for. Old letters. And... Could I see that picture, please? Yeah, I hear you. Well, it's the same writing. I thought I'd seen it before. Yeah. This old letter from Warren. See the writing? Doesn't it look the same to you? Hmm. Looks close, Joe. Yeah, well, I've done my own handwriting. Check it over. Who is this Warren, Miss Chambers? Warren White. Here's his address right here. Yeah, I'll copy it, Jim. Fine. Warren and I went to college together. We were engaged to be married for a while, and then I broke it off. I see. Warren's a serious boy. He was very thorough. Perfectionist. You know, Sergeant? Mm. Never does things halfway. That's him. Never known Warren to do anything in his life halfway. Not once. Well, he's going to have a perfect record if that handwriting matches. What can they do to him? I don't know, but they won't do it halfway. 2.55 p.m. We left the home of Doris Chambers and drove down Beverly Boulevard to 743 North Clarewood Avenue, an apartment house where the suspect was supposed to be living. We talked to the manager, and he told us that Warren White had moved without giving notice three days before on January 10th, the same day 68-year-old Martin Latimer was found dead in his home. We got on the phone, talked to Doris Chambers again, and she gave us a lead on Warren White's married sister. 
7.30 p.m., we met with the sister of the murder suspect, and she told us that her brother Warren had phoned that morning and asked for an emergency loan of $200, which she didn't have to give him. The sister gave us White's new address, and we checked it out. It was one of those run-down, futuristic-style apartment houses built in the mid-30s. It was on a narrow road high above Sunset Boulevard overlooking most of Hollywood. White wasn't in, and the manager said he wasn't expected back till early the next morning. We had the manager let us in White's apartment. We waited. Midnight. 1 a.m. No sign of the suspect. No denying it is your beautiful view from here. It's the best in town. Be nice for single fellows up here, wouldn't it? Wouldn't work with the family, though. How about you, Joe? Why don't you get your mother looking around up here? It'd be a beautiful place with the two of you. No, I don't think Ma'd ever leave the house. She's been there for 40 years. I guess she'll stay there till she dies. Would be nice up here, though, wouldn't it? What a view, huh? Mm-hmm. Why don't you try talking her into it? You got nothing to lose. I might do that. Why don't you slide up one of the windows? Get a little stuffy in there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, smell that air, huh? That's great. Yeah. What time you got? Mm, 1.45. Oh, it's a long night. We waited. 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 4.30 was cold, and still no sign of the suspect, Warren White. 5 a.m., 5.30, 6 a.m. The sky was getting light over in the east. 6.30, 7 a.m., 7.30. We kept waiting. No sign of the suspect. We called the office and arranged for a relief. 8 a.m., we could hear groups of youngsters passing by outside, trooping into the main yard of a grammar school just below the apartment house. We kept waiting. At 8.15 a.m., we heard a car pull up in front of the apartment house. Footsteps came down the driveway, up the path, stopped outside the door. We heard a key turn in the lock. What is this? What do you want? You want white? Yes. Police officers got some questions we'd like to ask you. It's all right, officers. Why don't you sit down? I'm not going to give you any trouble. Huh? I killed him. Maybe I'll never know why, but I killed him. You want to tell us about it? You must have had a reason for it, rigging it for a suicide. Do you have anything against him? I hardly even knew him. He used that picture of Doris to fool him. Made some good money doing it. I needed it. You willing to give us a statement about the whole thing? I haven't anything to hide, officer. The minute I killed him, I knew it was all over. Right there in that one minute. I knew you'd come and find me somehow. I didn't know when, but you'd come and find me. Well, okay, Ben. We better head downtown. Yeah. What? It's a great sound, isn't it? What's that? The schoolyard. Yeah. The kids. Got a great sound to it. Good one. You want to get your hat? All right. How can anybody figure? You start in the schoolyard like those kids down there, running around, yelling. I started the thing. Better get going. I wonder what it is that happens. An eight-year-old red-hit kid. There must be one down there now. Yeah, the kids will grow up, get jobs, work, and die. It'll be all right. Yeah. And one kid will end up in an alley with a gun in his hand. How can anybody figure? I don't know. A bunch of kids playing in a schoolyard. Someday one of them's a killer. Yeah, let's go. You tell me. What's the answer? <laughs>
the story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On April 2nd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 88, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. Friends, it's come to my attention that some people have a misunderstanding about the cost of Fatimas. Well, I'd sure like to straighten that out for you right now. The cost of Fatima is the same as the cigarettes you're now smoking. Yes, that's right. Fatimas cost no more. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. Buy Fatima in the golden yellow package. Warren Thomas White was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. He received a sentence of life imprisonment. He is still serving his term in the state penitentiary, Folsom, California. Ladies and gentlemen, to build our strength against aggression, we've got to equip our armed forces with weapons of war and at the same time produce plenty of civilian goods so that we can keep prices down. Remember, the better we produce, the stronger we grow. A series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Stay tuned for Counterspy, next over NBC. Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. A gang of hijackers has set up operations in your city. Truckloads of merchandise worth thousands of dollars vanish completely. The criminals know their business. Their system appears foolproof. Your job, stop them. Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes. Definitely the best quality in its class. But the same price as the cigarette you're now smoking. And Fatima is extra mild. With a much different, much better flavor and aroma. So compare Fatima yourself. Today, you'll find Fatima gives you all the advantages of extra length. Plus Fatima quality. Which no other king-size cigarette has. Remember, the cost of Fatima is the same as the cigarette you're now smoking. Remember, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Next time, buy Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. 
It was Saturday, November 8th. It was foggy in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from R&I, and it was 11.23 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery detail. Joe? Hi. Where you been, anyhow? I've been sitting here 20 minutes waiting for you. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been checking a couple of names through R&I. It took a little longer than I figured. The least yeah. you could do is leave a note in the book. I do the same for you. I've been sitting here 20 minutes. Oh, I told you I'm sorry. What's the matter? Are you feeling well? No, I'm all right. I'd just like a little cooperation, Joe. That's all. What's the matter with you? Oh, I don't know. I guess I was mad when I woke up. Got a crazy house. Well, what's the trouble? Do you have an argument with your wife? In-laws are visiting again. Six of them. Oh, where are they sleeping? All over the place. Four adults, two kids, and a gray fox terrier. He's not even housebroken. Yeah. How long are you going to stay? A couple of days? Two weeks. I don't know how I can last it out, Joe. They're crawling all over the place. Kids screaming, dog tearing up the front room, no privacy. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, why don't you just level with them? Ask them if they wouldn't mind staying at a motel for a couple of days. Huh? I suggested that to the wife this morning. What'd she think? That's when the argument started. Oh. Hey, um... I almost forgot to tell you that truck driver finally showed up at uh, Frank Burr's. Oh, yeah, it's about time. Where is he? Took him across the hall to the mug room. Got him checking out some coming out mug books. Guess we better see how he's doing. All right. He sure took his time getting there, didn't he? Yeah, didn't offer any excuses. He's no more help than he was yesterday. Yeah. Surly. Not very cooperating. How you doing, Mr. Burr's? You remember my partner, Sergeant Friday. How are you, Burr's? I got a headache. This is just a waste of time wading through all these pictures. I've been through two of these books already. I couldn't identify any of the guys. Yeah, well, we know it's pretty tedious. We'd just like to have you check through a few more volumes, if you wouldn't mind. Look, I don't mind giving you a hand when I got time, but I got things to do today. I got something on for tonight. I have to get a haircut, my suit pressed. Well, this thing's pretty important to us, Burroughs. I know we're putting you out, but we need every lead we can get. We'd certainly appreciate it if you could just give us a little more cooperation. I don't know what else I can do. I told you everything I know, just the way it happened. A few more things we'd like to ask you about, sir. Some of the details you didn't make quite clear. Well, what details? How do you mean? Details about the hijacking. Mind going over it again for us? I laid it out for you the last time you talked to me, just the way it went. It's the same as the rest. Well, how do you mean, the same as the rest? Well, the other hijackings are the same as those. No different. You're pretty familiar with the other jobs, are you? Well, I followed them in the paper, read the bullet, and the cops got out on them. It's up on the dispatch board in the garage. Hey... Is that fresh water in that cooler over there? Yeah, I think so. Help yourself. Thanks. Gotta have a couple of aspirin for this headache. Can't take aspirin without water. Yeah. You've been driving a couple of years for Lavelle Trucking Line. Is that right, Burroughs? Yeah, that's right, yeah. What if you'd mind running it through for us again, Burroughs? Maybe there's a few details about the thing that you forgot to mention, huh? Well, it won't be any different than last time. I pulled out from the loading dock about 6 o'clock yesterday morning, hauling a load of scotch whiskey over to Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Pulled up for the red light at Alameda and Jackson. That's when the guy pulled open the door and got in next to me. Put a gun in my ribs, told me to look straight ahead. First thing he did was hand me that pair of goggles and tell me to put them on. Same kind the welders use. Front of the lens was covered with tape. I put them on. I couldn't see a thing. Guy took over the wheel and started driving. Well, did you have any idea what direction you were heading in? Oh, not with the goggles on. I tried to follow at first, but I got all mixed up. Couldn't tell where he was driving. Made quite a few turns. He drove about 20, 25 minutes, I guess, before we pulled up. Mm -hmm. That's where the switching point was. Two more guys met us there. I could only tell by the voices they pulled me out of the truck and put me in a car. Well, can you tell us anything at all about that transfer point? I mean, were there any sounds, anything like that, that would give you an idea that maybe where you were? Well, I figure it must have been someplace out in the valley, pretty far out. No traffic sounds at all, just crickets, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. He got me in that car, drove around about an hour, I figure. And they put me on out at the side of the road, told me to leave the goggles on for ten minutes, and then they drove off. 
Well, how about those two men at the transfer point? If you heard their voices again, you think you could recognize them? I don't know. I doubt it. They didn't say too much. Not that I heard, anyway. I'm just curious, Burris. How is it you thought of calling your company first instead of the police? Well, it's their cargo. A whole load of whiskey. If somebody hijacks it, I figure the company ought to be the first to know. I'd like to ask you just one more question. There's no offense intended here. Yeah? You ever been arrested? Why? What'd that have to do with it? Well, probably nothing at all. Have you ever been arrested? I'd like to set you straight on it right now. If you think I was working inside on this thing, you got it wrong. I didn't have anything to do with it. Then there's nothing to worry about, either. All right. Yeah, I've been arrested. When was that, Burroughs? About ten years ago. It was back east, West Virginia. What was the charge? Hijacking. Our records showed no previous arrests for Frank Burroughs. For the next few days, he was kept under observation. When we got the kickback from Washington, it showed Burroughs had one previous arrest, the one he told us about, for hijacking. We checked all his friends, relatives, and associates. We found nothing suspicious. His employer said that they were aware of his police record, but they told us that Burroughs was one of the best drivers they had. There was nothing to link him with a series of hijackings which had been going on all over the city for the past month. Our crime lab checked the pair of goggles which Burroughs had been forced to wear during the hijacking. They were an ordinary industrial type, easily obtained and impossible to trace. Other than those belonging to Burroughs, there were no fingerprints on them. Late that afternoon, the missing truck and trailer was found empty in a deserted section of the valley. No latent fingerprints or other physical evidence. 9 a.m. the next morning, we met with Captain Didion. Cargo's gone, huh? Not a trace of it. That's it, Skipper. High-grade Scotch whiskey, 150 cases. Got out of Bolton all the liquor wholesalers. The serial number's listed. That ex-con Burroughs, nothing turned up on him? No, nothing. We double-checked everything about him. He's clean. You didn't get a thing off that abandoned truck? No prints, no physical evidence. Seems like they got it down to a science. Tell that to Thad Brown. He's getting all the kicks from the warehouse operators. 30 days and six hijackings. How about moving faster? Well, as you know, we've got 12 stakeouts running down freight loads, Skipper. Yeah. Incoming, outgoing. Got three girls in the stats office doing nothing but making runs for us. No new suspects. We've got a meeting with an informant after lunch. He figures he may have something. There's nothing to bank on. How about an inside tip-off on these jobs? Any indication the gang's working something like that? No, nothing definite, Skipper. Jobs seem to be pretty well cased, though. We've checked out everybody with a record working for the trucking line. No reason to think any of them had a hand in it. Excuse me a minute. Vivian. Yeah. Live Oak near Trenton Avenue. Yeah, I got it right. Thank you. We got another truck early this morning. Where? There's the location. Better move on it. Looks like they got their signals crossed. How do you mean? Doesn't make sense. The cargo they hijacked. What was it? A load of toothbrushes. 9.23 a.m. Ben and I drove to the intersection of Live Oak Drive and Trenton Avenue in the Hollywood Hills where we located the latest driver to fall victim to the gang of hijackers. His story was the same as the others. He'd stopped his truck for a red light at a deserted intersection when a man jumped on the running board and pointed a gun at his head. The man with the gun took over the wheel and forced the driver to put on a pair of blacked-out welder's goggles. Then the truck was moved to a remote spot where the driver was transferred to a car and later released in a remote section of the Hollywood Hills. The hijacked truck was found empty a day later. And again, there was no physical evidence, no fingerprints. The driver could add little to what we already knew. The only point that made the case any different from those that had gone before was the cargo that had been stolen, a load of toothbrushes. We began an immediate check of the neighborhood where, according to the driver, he was first held up. It was a fairly remote intersection in the San Fernando Valley. After four hours of interviewing ranchers and gas station attendants, we talked to the operator of a practice driving range for golfers located just off the highway. His name was Fred Garrison. Matter of fact, I did notice something out of the ordinary this morning, a little before 6 a.m., I think. 
Spotted this big semi turning off on that dirt road down the highway there. Uh, which dirt road is that, Mr. Gary? Oh, right up the highway there. See it? Oh, yeah. It turns off by that clump of trees. Mm-hmm. Couldn't figure out why a big truck and trailer be taking that road. Doesn't make sense. How do you mean, sir? Well, it's a dead end. No reason why a driver would turn off there by mistake. There's a big sign right there at the intersection. It says, not a through street. Right there. See it? Plain mm-hmm. as day. I wonder if you could describe the truck for us, Mr. Garrison. Well, it's pretty good size. One of those big aluminum jobs. Black lettering on the side, I think. Yeah, it turned off the highway, went down the dirt road a little ways, and then it turned off into that grove of trees, and the driver cut the lights. Mm-hmm. Did you notice any activity going on at all? No, no, I didn't. Oh, maybe I should have walked over and checked it. I figured it was just some truck driver pulling up to catch a few winks of sleep. Yeah, I see. My boy Dave was with me at the time. Wanted to check it, but I told him to mind his own business. Says a couple of minutes after the truck pulled in, he saw a gray sedan come down the road and park next to the truck right in that same clump of trees. Well, now, didn't all this look a little suspicious to you, sir? Oh, I suppose so, in a way. I just don't like the metal where it's not my business, that's all. Well, did your boy Dave get a good look at this gray sedan? Do you know that? Uh, you want to come in the office sit down? Sure. Oh, thanks. Hey, sit right there if you like. Fine, thank, thank you. you. Uh, let's see, now, where were we? About your boy Dave. Oh, yeah, yeah. You said that he saw a gray sedan pull in next to the truck over in that clump of trees. Did he mention anything else that he noticed about the car? I mean, other than the fact that it was a gray sedan. Well, yeah, I think he did say something else about it. Now, let's see, uh, I wasn't listening too close at the time. Uh, Dave's doing some errands downtown for me right now. He'll be phoning in pretty soon, though. I can ask him about it then. He paid a lot more attention to the thing than I did. Well, how long were the truck and trailer and that sedan parked in the grove of trees? Do you remember that? Yeah, well, not too long. Maybe 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. The car pulled out first and took off down the highway away from town. That way, see? Mm-hmm. And the truck and trailer left a few minutes after. What do you figure they were up to? We've got an idea. What time was that again, sir, when you saw the truck turn off the highway onto the dirt road? About 6 a.m. Maybe a few minutes one way or the other. Uh-huh. I wonder if you'd show us the exact spot where you saw that truck park, would you? Oh, sure. Here. You want to come over here with me to the window? All right. Uh, now, you see the clump of trees there? Yeah. A eucalyptus. Are mm-hmm. uh, they boarded right on the road? Yeah. Uh, maybe that's him now. All right. Garrison Fairways. Oh, yeah, Dave. How'd you make out? Mm-hmm. Oh, fine. No, no, no. Listen, a couple policemen here now, they're asking about that truck and that gray sedan you saw up on the road this morning. Want to know what you noticed about the sedan besides the color? How's that? Oh, you did, uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you better head back here. They probably want to talk to you about it. All right, Davey. Bye. What do you have to say? Oh, he'll be back in about 20 minutes. I figured you want to talk to him. Well, how about the sedan, sir? Did you get a pretty good look at it, did he say? Yeah, I guess so. He got part of the license number. Fred Garrison's son, Dave, returned and gave us all the pertinent facts about the truck and the gray sedan which he'd noticed in the neighborhood early that morning. His description of the truck and trailer, what he saw of it anyway, matched closely with that of the latest vehicle to be hijacked. He described the car as a gray sedan, and he said it looked to him like it was a late model Nash, but he couldn't be sure. He said the first three units on the license plate were 7T7. The location in the grove of trees where the truck had been spotted was checked thoroughly. Outside of some indefinite tire tracks, there was no physical evidence. 4.10 p.m., we put in a call to DMV and asked for a rundown on the three license plate numbers. The next morning, DMV returned to us a list of more than 1,000 auto registrations, which began with the figure 7T7. We went down the list and gradually eliminated 600 of these as not being physically close in description to the car seen by Garrison's boy, Dave. We kept checking. Almost 300 more on the list were registered in distant parts of the state. That left us with over 100 vehicles registered in or around Los Angeles to check out. It went slow. 
three weeks passed. We narrowed the list down to 23 possibles. Tuesday, December 10th. We were checking registrations with addresses in the east end of the city. What's your name on this one again? Perry. Uh, Walter R. Perry. Mm -hmm. Garage is straight back to drive. There's a car park in it. Yeah. Let's try the bell again, huh? Yeah. What do you say? All right, let's give the car a look. People sure do get careless. Nobody home, garage wide open, car sitting there. Mm -hmm. Qualifies so far. You want to check the steering post there, registration thing? I get it, yeah. Check out, all right? Just a minute. What do you got there? Yeah. Found these under the seat. Oh. Maybe we're home. Yeah, it's a pair of goggles. Take a look. Yeah. Both lenses covered with tape. You're in the forgery division of the Metropolitan Police Department. Handwriting analysis. Now, let's check it against the forged letter. The capitals print evenly. The O's and the A's are clean. No, this isn't the typewriter we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, capitals print high. A's and O's are solid. P's slanted. This is the one. It's the same with cigarettes. There are many king-size brands to choose from. But when you know all the facts, you'll make your choice Fatima. Here are those facts. Fatimas are the same in length and circumference. 85 millimeters long, 1 and 1 64ths inches around. And Fatima filters the smoke exactly the same long distance as any other king-size cigarette. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. Remember, Fatima gives you extra mildness. A much different, much better flavor and aroma. You get all the advantages of extra length, plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes. Definitely the best quality in its class, but the same price as the cigarette you are now smoking. Next time, buy Fatima. <laughs> Tuesday, December 10th, 2.15 p.m. The pair of goggles found in the automobile registered to Walter R. Perry were the same brand and style as the goggles used to black out the truck drivers and all the previous hijackings. Ben and I searched the car, but we failed to come up with any additional physical evidence. We left the garage, checked the house again to make sure that there was nobody at home. Then we went down the street, close to the house, to where we parked our car. We put in a call to R&I and requested a make on Walter R. Perry. He had no previous criminal record. A few minutes later, we spotted two women loaded with grocery bags come down the street, go up the stairs of the Perry house, and let themselves in with a key. We went up to the front door, rang the bell, and the younger of the two women answered. Dark brown hair, blue eyes, about five foot six, 28, 29 years old. We identified ourselves, and she showed us into the living room. She told us her name was Leona Perry, and that Walter Perry was her husband. They'd been married 11 years, no children. We asked her where her husband was, and she said he was out of town on a business trip up north to Monta Vista, California. 
We asked her what line of business he was in. Well, right now, Walt is a jewelry salesman. He works for himself. I do quite a bit of traveling. Your husband's blonde, about five nine hundred and sixty pounds. Is that right? Yes, that's right. How do you go up north, ma'am? Do you know? Well, I think he went up by train. I'm not sure. You have any idea how we might contact your husband up north? No, I'm afraid I don't. He said he had a couple of business apartments in different towns in that area up there. He didn't tell me where he'd be staying. What's it about, Sergeant? Just a routine check, Miss Perry. Is that a photograph of your husband over there on the piano? Yes. Mm-hmm. When's he expected back, you know? Well, let's see. This is Tuesday. He should be home sometime Thursday. I see. A minute ago, you said right now your husband's a jewelry salesman. Is that his usual line of work? No, Walt is a truck driver. He worked here in Los Angeles? No, he drove for a company up north in the Bay Area, Oakland, Berkeley. He had that job for ten years, almost from the day we were married. Mm-hmm. And then last December, he had a fight with a boss and quit. We moved down here to find work, but he just couldn't seem to get placed. How long has he been selling jewelry, ma'am? Oh, about eight months, I'd say. He's doing very good at it. We have more now than when he was driving a truck. A lot of money in the jewelry business. Well, it's just you and your husband living here, is that right? No, my mother lives with us, too. We just got back from doing the shopping. I guess she's busy putting the groceries away. I see. Mom? Ma? Oh, say that's all right, ma'am. I think you can give us the information we need. Well, I'd like to know what this is about. I'd... Appreciate it if you'd tell me. Walter isn't in any kind of trouble, is he? Just a routine investigation, Miss Perry. Doesn't necessarily mean your husband's involved. I can tell you right now, my husband isn't involved in anything. Walter's never had trouble with the police in his life. Walter has trouble with the police? What is it, Leon? It's nothing, Ma. These policemen want to talk to Walter. They just want to ask him a few questions, that's all. Uh, this is my mother, Mrs. Burt. Ma, Thank this you. is... Mr. Friday and Mr. Romero. I told you, Leon, I felt it all day. Something's wrong. Walter's done something, hasn't he? Now, don't start on that again, Ma, please. The officers told me they want to talk to Walter, that's all. What for? If he hasn't done anything, why do they want to talk to him? Routine duty, ma'am. There's nothing to get excited about. I know it would happen. I felt it all the time. That funny job he has, selling jewelry, going out at all hours. Couldn't fool me. I knew it wasn't right. What's he done? Were his relatives? we got a right to know. Well, there's nothing we can tell you definitely, ma'am. How about these odd working hours your husband has, Miss Perry? What's the reason for that? Could you tell us? Well, I don't know. Walter works for himself. He just has to make business contacts when he can, that's all. Sometimes it's late at night, sometimes early in the morning. Why don't you stay out of it, Ma? After all, it's our business. Walter's in mine. You just mark my word, Leona. Find out about this. That husband of yours has done something, and these policemen are after him. I knew it wasn't right. I felt it all no, along. Please take these jewelry business is big money. I should have left and taken you with me the day it started. Walter's a truck driver. It's all you'll ever be. It's where he should have stayed. Why are you always picking on Walter? Why? Because I told you in the first place you never should have married him. Eleven years ago, I told you. I never should have come to stay with you. You couldn't go and marry one of those nice boys you met at school. It had to be Walter Perry. Well, maybe you'll see now. Trouble with the police. Now you'll see what kind of a man you Shut married. up, Ma. Sorry, officer. Well, I'm afraid that isn't helping much, Miss Burke. I suppose not. What is it that can help? You have kids, you try to tell them something, make it easy for them, you never listen. Now, that gray sedan back in the garage, ma'am, does anyone else drive it besides Mr. Perry, do you know? No, Leona doesn't drive, Walter's the only one who runs it. He drives it to all these business appointments he has at odd hours? That's right. How many times he doesn't take it is when he's out of town. Uh, you ever seen this pair of goggles before, ma'am? No, I never have. What does it mean, that tape all over the front of them? Well, how about your son-in-law's friends? Do you ever bring any of them here to the house? Not since I've been staying here the last six months. Letters from men call him on the phone, he goes out. Doesn't bring anyone around, though. Oh, I'm just sick of it. Well, can you tell us anything about this jewelry business Mr. Perry's working in? I don't even want to think about it. I raised four daughters, nice girls, every one of them attractive. You make plans for them, and you want them to be happy and marry some nice fellow, have a nice, comfortable home. You try to tell them, and they never listen. About the car, ma'am. They get to be 17, and they know everything. My girls could have married wealthy if they were smart. A lot of other girls have done it. 
They had nice clothes. They got through business school, good home training, all this talk about love. They're all so smart. They know everything, and they know nothing. This is what happens. You wake up and find out. Would you finish putting the groceries away, Ma? Totally off Anything you want, Leona. Didn't mean to upset you. Maybe things will be all right. Just a few more questions, Miss Perry, and that's all. Well, whatever it is, I know Walter hasn't done anything wrong. He wouldn't do anything wrong. It doesn't make sense. There's no reason for it. I remember your father, Leona. Sixteen years we were married. One night he packed up and left me. There wasn't any reason for that either. Wasn't there, Mom? We continued questioning the wife and the mother-in-law of the suspect, Walter Perry. From the wife, we got the names and addresses of four close friends of Perry's who were supposed to be associates of his in the jewelry business. In the basement and in a loft over the garage, we found more than a dozen cases of high-grade Scotch whiskey, cases of expensive furs and other loot taken in the hijacking. Mrs. Perry said her husband told her he was storing the stuff for some friends. It was only a small portion of the take. We called the office and got out a broadcast and an APB on the suspect and arranged for an immediate stakeout on the Perry house. And then, together with Matthews and Gonzalez from robbery detail, we began checking out the four close friends of the suspect. We could locate only two of them, but those two paid off. In the basements and garages of their homes, we found another portion of the loot, along with evidence that showed that both men had taken active parts in the hijacking. They were booked at the main jail on suspicion of 211 PC. A full week went by. The stakeout continued on the Perry house. Still no sign of him. Saturday, December 20th, 4.45 p.m. We checked back in at the office. This thing's sure dragging out, huh? Yeah, it'd be nice to wrap it up before Christmas, wouldn't it? Get it out of the way. Might work into a couple of days off. Yeah, I don't know if I'm too interested, Joe. What? The days off. I mean, we got visitors on the way again. What do you mean for the holidays? Who's coming? Same old bunch. My brother-in-law and his wife and his kids and that little dog over there. Well, they were just with you for three weeks, weren't they? What's the deal? Oh, brother-in-law got home and found a notice from his company. He's been transferred out here. Oh. They're going to stay with us all through the holidays, and then they'll start house hunting. How about that? Mm, you've got a problem. It's got a new rug in the living room. I'll bet 20 to 1 on it, Joe. What's that? A little fox terrier. Oh, hi, Skipper. Anything before we check out? Piece of news for you. Just talk to the Ventura Sheriff's Office. We owe him a favor. What do you mean? They grabbed Walter Perry half an hour ago. Monday, December 22nd. Suspect Walter Perry was returned to Los Angeles. He was taken to the interrogation room where Captain Didion, Ben, and I questioned him for almost two hours. He was confronted with the evidence and testimony against him, and after another hour and a half of interrogation, he broke. He gave us a full signed statement describing his part in the campaign of hijacking. He also gave us the names of everyone in the gang, how they participated, and to what extent. He said most of the property looted from the hijacked trucks was stored in a rented barn located at the north end of the San Fernando Valley. A detail of men checked it and confirmed the information. The suspect's wife, Leona, was notified of her husband's arrest. 1.35 p.m., we completed our interrogation. That's it, Perry. Let's go. You ask me a lot of questions. How about it? Can I ask you one? What's that? Well, why do you think I did it? Why I got mixed up in this? Well, according to your statements, you wanted the money, isn't it? Well, you've been out to my house, haven't you? You met my wife? Yeah, that's right. I guess you met a mother, too. Yeah. Well, then you got it. Nobody in the world could make me go for a hijack deal, but she could. I even remember the morning I'd made up my mind to do it. I was out in the kitchen. You hear yapping at Leon in the other room, same old roasting. Mm-hmm. A lousy truck driver, that was me. Eleven years the wife and I have been married. Her mother lived with us, nine of them. Didn't get any better, didn't get any worse. Just the same old yapping, her and her four girls. Why couldn't they listen to her? They were the best girls in the world. Why couldn't they marry money? Why did it have to be guys like truck drivers, stupid truck drivers? Same thing every day, always the same. Nine years of it. I... It's 
If I went out to get enough money to rub in her face, enough to make her choke on, you can hate somebody for that. I don't know how many years they'll give me, but I'm going to hate her every one. Sir? Oh, hi, Olsen. Want to remain jail this one ready to go? Only be a minute, Rex. Right. Thank you. All right, Tony. Yeah. Uh, Sergeant, my wife's been told, huh? She, she knows about it? She's waiting outside in the hall with her mother. You can see him on the way out. Oh, thanks. Why did you do it? Ask him whether there, honey. You heard as much of it as I did. Nine years' worth. I, I guess it finally got me sick. She wanted you to have money, so I went out to get it. You, you come and see me when you can? Leona isn't going to any jail to see you. I knew it all along. I knew what you were. It's the truth. She never should have married you. All right, Perry. Let's go, mister. Hold. Hold. Why? How are you figuring? I don't know. How about some coffee? Okay. Sure is funny. You see other people sweating it out, your troubles look like nothing. I was just thinking about it. What's that? Those in-laws of mine. What about them? Guess I haven't got it half bad. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On March 5th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 87, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. Friends, from our many talks with law enforcement agencies and letters from police officers, we're especially gratified to know that a great number of these men agree with us, that Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Now, our latest sales figures back that up. Every week, more and more smokers are enjoying king-size Fatimas. People from every state, from all walks of life. If you haven't tried Fatimas yet, buy a pack tomorrow. In Fatima, the difference is quality. The quality is better. But the cost of Fatima is the same as the cigarettes you're now smoking. Next time, buy king-size Fatima. Walter Richard Perry was tried and convicted on several counts of robbery in the first degree. He was sentenced to the state penitentiary for the term prescribed by law. First-degree robbery is punishable by a term of five years to life. His accomplices receive similar sentences. Ladies and gentlemen, as we know, thousands of people in Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Illinois have been driven from their homes by floodwaters. Many are being sheltered and fed by the Red Cross. All Americans are urged to give through their local Red Cross chapters. Your contribution of just a dollar will give you a feeling of justifiable pride. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Stay tuned for Counter Spy, next on NBC. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, 
John Hagedorn, stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.